You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be. We turn our hearts now. Instead of proclaiming God's excellencies in song and telling God what we're thankful for and and, and, and praising Him for who He is, we now turn our attention to listening and to receiving God's Word to us. This is... God is speaking to us. His word is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. It means that God is he's speaking to us, and it's perfect and good and uh, profitable for all kinds of things. So Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, we're just going to read a couple verses, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is God's word. This is Jesus speaking to us. These are the words of our Lord. If you have ever um, had any close relationship for any amount of time with a person, um, you know that there are a couple different kinds and ways of knowing a person. Consider the story of a woman named Alice. It's a common, common situation that many of us have found ourselves in. She's been married for her situation. She's married for 60 years to the same man. She knows him in a deep way. She knows, her, she knows his favorite color. She knows what foods don't settle right with him. She knows uh, his likes and dislikes. She knows all his little quirks and things like that. She knows what makes him laugh, what makes him cry. But still, every once in a while, he'll do something that makes her say, I know this man like the back of my hand, and I'll still never understand him. That's common in relationship, right? Whether it's marriage or friendship, there's a way of knowing a person, and then there's a way of of not knowing. There's two different kinds of, of knowing. And so it is with our relationship with Jesus, There are different kinds of knowing Jesus. There's a kind of knowing that's based on intellectual information. There's a kind of knowing he he loves me, he died for me, he was born in Nazareth, he rose from the grave. Uh, He is the incarnate, invisible expression of the eternal and almighty God. Uh, There's a lot of ways that we can know Jesus in, in just the information from searching the scriptures. But then there's a kind of knowing that has to travel down from the mind and into the heart. It's one thing to mention that Christ has done wonderful things for us. And then another kind of knowing to mention Jesus' heart for you. And what he feels for you. You know, when the Bible uses the word heart, it's most often referring to that non-conceptual kind of knowing a person. Paul Tripp defines the heart as the causal core of our being. Dane Ortland, in our book that we're, we started to read, is called, he says, the heart is our motivational headquarters. So our heart is what directs us, our heart is what drives us, our heart is what gets us up in the morning. Uh, our heart is from which all of our thoughts and behaviors flow from that. And then there's, there's no wonder then why the Bible encourages us, keep a close watch on your heart. For, from it flow the wellspring of all life. 
It is that thing that drives us. This series that we're starting today is about the heart of Christ. I'll make reference to Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. This series will follow major themes throughout this book. If you haven't been with us for a few weeks, we're giving away that free book for, for anyone who desires one, or even if you want to take a couple copies and give it away to a neighbor, a friend, a family member, a coworker that you've been talking about Jesus with, um, they're outside in the welcome area. Please grab one of those. And as many of you have probably noticed from the book, a, a piece of information which was new to me, he talks about in, in all the 89 chapters in the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus Christ, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these books are, these letters are eyewitness testimonies of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In all of those chapters, we learn a lot about Jesus, but there's only one place where Jesus reveals his heart. One place, and it's here in our passage today. Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This passage, would you just sit there with me just for the next few minutes? This, it has kind of two different levels of complexity, doesn't it? It's super simple and then super complex. It's simple enough for a child to be instructed in what, it, what, it, what Jesus offers and how he cares for us. A young child can understand, oh, he's gentle, he's lowly. He, if, I'm, if, I'm, if, I, if I'm tired and weary, he, he can give me comfort. And then it's complex enough for a, for a seasoned scholar to spend the rest of his or her life trying to understand the depths of it. Something brief to say, and then let's dig into it. I think it's always safe to say on any, any given Sunday, there are a handful of people in this room who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. This morning, you're going to hear, wherever you are, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're new to the Christian faith, whether you are just investigating for yourself, you're going to hear a matchless summary of what it means to be a Christian. And not because of my words, but because of what Jesus says to us in this passage about himself. And if you're not one of those people who's wondering what it means to follow Jesus, maybe you're a maturing Christian, you're a seasoned Christian, you might, you've been a Christian for, for decades or many years, but maybe you're at the end of your rope. But maybe you're not even at the end of your rope. Maybe you're like in the middle of your rope, right? Maybe you're feeling like things are hard. And I'm still holding on, but I don't know how much longer I have. Then you need to realize that this is an also an invitation to you, from Jesus to you. So this is for all of us, wherever we are. Let's look closer at these three verses, the three things that we should consider as we do. We see the access that Jesus gives, we see the attitude we need, and then we see the answer to all our restlessness. So it's the access, the attitude, and the answer. Are you so proud of me? Three A's? Okay. First of all, the access that Jesus gives, the access he gives. What's the invitation that Jesus offers? Come to me. Come to me. It's an invitation. It's an access into his presence. That's how he begins. It's an invitation to turn to Jesus and enter into his presence. Have 
Have you seen that? Do you see it here? Do you understand that? It's, it's, our ten, it's our, such our tendency to feel um, that the more chaotic life gets and the more stressful life gets, that the more isolated and alone we will feel. As life gets harder, we get more alone. We get more isolated. We get more looking in and feeling kind of closed in by the world. The world gets smaller in our view. We become anxious and paralyzed. The, most, the last 10 months have been very effective in producing that kind of emotional feeling, Haven't it? hasn't it? As life gets harder and more uncomfortable when we can't sort through our emotions or what is happening in the world around us, whenever the world gets smaller, we feel more and more disconnected from God and from others. When cherished relationships get sour, when feelings of despair flood in, when you feel deeply misunderstood, right there, Jesus says, come to me. Because in those moments when the world is getting smaller and the bottom falls out of everything, whether it's our marriage or our job or our finances or our relationships or our emotional and mental health, whatever falls out, we are going, there's a dozen invitations from other things in the world that say, come to me. Come to me. I can help you. I can fix you. When we're hurting, sin will say, I can make you feel better. Come to me. When we are lonely, sin will say, I will be your friend. Come to me. I care about how you're feeling. When we are scared, sin will tell us, stick with me if you want to be safe. We often take, take those invitations up, but it never delivers. When sin and the devil, our enemy, will offer us all of these opportunities to feel better, it never delivers. It demands too much. It takes too much from us. Satan will offer everything and deliver nothing. And in those moments, Jesus is continually inviting us to come to him. And in doing that, he is revealing his heart to us. And in that, he is saying that he does not know how to be absent from us. That he does not have any desire, no matter what the circumstance in our life, to be absent from us. If you have ever felt a desire in your heart to be close to Jesus, I guarantee that he feels that way even stronger than you do to be close to you. This invitation, this constant and endless invitation of Jesus say, come to me. I do not know how to be absent from you. I do not want to be and have no desire to be disconnected from you. When we feel alone in our struggle, when we feel isolated from God, Jesus is here to correct us lovingly and gently correcting us that those feelings are wrong and we are in fact never alone. No amount of pain, no amount of sin can change that. For he does not know how to be absent from us. There's a couple different ways of knowing Jesus, right? In this sense, you may feel like, I know systematic theology. I can tell you exactly what it means to, to know penal substitutionary atonement. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah. So 
You can know that, and then it's like, yeah, but this, I don't know this. This knowing Jesus in this way, his presence, his peace, his comfort, his rest. Wow, that's a whole nother level of being with him. I'm a daydreamer, uh, not always about good things and hopeful things, right? I'm a daydreamer. Sometimes it's just about this just mundane stuff, like, I wonder how many days my dog hasn't had water, you know, stuff like that. That, that bowl is bone dry. Did I pay the electric bill twice this month? I think I might have. There have been times when I'm physically present at home, um, but emotionally somewhere else, right? There have been times in the past where I'm sitting in the room with my wife, and she'll say, I just, I want to be with you. And then I say, I just, I'm literally three feet from you. <laughs> but that's not what she means, right? There's a different kind of knowing. There's a different kind of knowing a person She's not talking about proximity, right? She's talking about depth of relationship. So there is a way to be present, and there's also a way to be absent from God in our knowing Him. And so He says, come to me. You have that access right now. You have that access. He offers that access. If you are troubled and and broken and lowly, Jesus does not know how to be unpresent from you. He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance from you. Jesus cannot change his heart for you the, way, the same way we can't change our eye color. I know you're thinking about those contact lenses, but you cannot do it. Jesus is not saying, These, this is the kind of things that I do for you, and when you're hurting, I'll step in and be there for you. Jesus is revealing his heart that is unchanging. He says, I do not know how to be unpresent from you. I want to be present with you. I have all the desire. My heart, what overflows from the depth of my being and core is a desire to be present with you. His presence is not just something he does because he is God. It is who he is, and he doesn't know how to be anything but that. He is inviting us in to surrender to his care, to surrender ourselves to his care, to put ourselves and our whole selves into his loving hands. Come to me. When you're hurting, come to me. He invites us to free ourselves up from the noise in our heads and to begin to focus deeply on his love in a way that we never have before. Come to me. I desire presence with you. Don't just learn theology. Don't just learn doctrine. Don't just learn facts. And don't just seek understanding. But be with me in my presence. That is where rest is. His hope here is to get you and I to understand this other kind of knowing Him and to know His heart so that in knowing His heart, we will, be, we will see the beauty of who He is and see how He is unlike every other thing in the world that says, come to me. That pain I can fix. That sorrow I can bring comfort to. That sadness I can wipe away. And you know all of those things promise a great deal, but never deliver. Well, how do we do this? How do we, how do we begin to 
respond to Christ in knowing him and coming to him? Well, let me, let's look at the attitude that we need. This is the second part of it. The preeminent, the most important attitude that we need in order to come to Christ is not what you might think that it is. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. The most important component in joining Jesus where he is is our openness. In other words, vulnerability, honesty, transparency, surrender. These are synonyms of what he is calling us to to do or the attitude that we should have as we desire to come to him. What does openness look like? Well, coming to Jesus with openness is the opposite of coming to Jesus with being guarded. And I think we know how to do that, right? The guarded person comes to Christ and says, I know I haven't been as good as you have desired me to be, and I'm trying to do the best that I can in some areas, but I could really use your help. And you're thinking, what is wrong with saying that? It is that in that way we're coming guarded. We're keeping something close. We're not opening up our heart to him. We're coming guarded. Or I'm discouraged, but I, and I know I need a better attitude here. Um, but people, I, there's people that are far, off, far worse than I am in life, and I shouldn't be complaining as much as I am because you have been so good to me. Not only is talking like this intellectual dishonesty, Jesus isn't fooled by any of it. And he isn't impressed with our good intentions. He's not impressed when we come to him and say, I know I'm, you know that I'm trying my best. To be open with Christ and to come in this attitude is to come to Christ and say, I am tired, I am weary, I am burdened. Jesus does not say, come to me all who are getting better and making progress. but all who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus, I'm not okay with how things are going in my life. Jesus, I'm worried that if I continue down this path, what might happen to me and my family, people I care about? Jesus, I'm scared of the future, and I cannot let go of the things that I'm controlling. Jesus, I'm tired of feeling alone, misunderstood, betrayed. Jesus, I'm afraid of being honest with my true struggles that are deep within my heart. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like to come weary and heavy laden. When Jesus invites us into his presence, we cannot come into his presence while at the same time guarding ourselves from him. Right? We can't take his invitation and come into his presence while at the same time keeping a foot out the door just in case we We get scared and need to take off. We must respond to his invitation to come to him with total surrender. Weary, heavy laden, burdened, broken, honest. Giving him consent to be honest with any single part of our heart. Jesus does not know how to be absent. He does not know how to be ungentle. But he is not this way. This is not who he is to everyone in random order. 
he is this way to those who come to him, who cry out to him for help, who bear before him their insecurities and doubts and anxieties and fears and failures. Come to me heavy, burdened, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. So everyone gets rest? No. Those who come to Jesus, those who cry out with an attitude of honesty. I love that David Ortland clarifies what it means to be gentle and lowly. It does not mean, he says, uh, mushy and frothy. <laughs> I need to hear this, and I need to say this to so, some of you, right? All the guys that need to hear this, you know, the, the guys, if you're wearing Carhartts or Wranglers this morning, listen, okay? Gentle and lowly does not mean mushy and frothy. I know this isn't just a guy thing, right? This, this is for the ladies too. For anyone who doesn't want a mushy and frothy God, what does gentle mean? Kind, present, humble, patient. We can talk about the strength of our almighty God. We can talk about his power. But here he, he reveals his friendship, his heart for you. It's not weakness. Who he is is kind. There's an attitude that we have that being able to face life's challenges head on no matter what difficulty comes our way, is what makes us worthwhile in the eyes of God. Some of us take tremendous pride in our ability to not stop when hard things come into our life. We just barrel through that wall. We push through those challenges, and we begin to feel morally acceptable to God because we are not getting knocked down by life's pain. I won't give up. I won't give in. And you need to hear, if that's your temperament, you do not need to be un, you do not need to unburden yourself to come to Jesus. Your burden is what qualifies you to come. Listen here, it is not it, it is your limitation, not your abundance, that qualifies you to come to Jesus. Do you know what, do you know what we're saying here? Some of us feel that it is our abundance, it is our know-how, it is our strength that allows us to feel this connection to the presence of God. Jesus reveals we have it the wrong way. It's, it's actually opposite of that. You don't need payment to meet Christ. It is your poverty that gives you the entrance fee. You guys still with me? <laughs> Get a good laugh out of you. Okay. <laughs> you don't need payment to meet with Christ. Your poverty is the entrance fee. Here, you want more proof? Read the New Testament. 
read the New Testament and ask yourself, who, who are the kinds of people that Jesus is moving towards? Who are the kinds of people that Jesus is running to to care for? It's the leper, it's the sick, it's the weary, it's the tired, it's the, 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 the paralyzed and the crippled. It is the, the lonely, it is the annoying, it is the, it is the person that no one wants to be around. And Jesus is running towards these people and saying, do you want to be well? Do you want, do you want to be well? Come to me. And who are the people that Jesus has reserved his harshest words for? It's the self-sufficient. It's the self-righteous. It's the ones who think they have it together. It's the pretentious, the fake, and the proud. Some of you are hiding things from God and desire to be in his presence, but are coming to him guarded as if it were even possible to do that. Because that is how you have learned how to stay out of trouble in the world. Don't tell anyone your secrets. But his presence and his rest is not a transaction. It's a gift. It's not a transaction. It's not, I give you this payment and you give me your rest. I give you this faithfulness and you give me your rest. And he says, no, the only thing that you can give as a form of payment is your, your weakness, your limits. Who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus? All who labor and are heavy laden. And so it's an invitation for us all. Uh, let's go a little deeper and get to the answer to our restlessness. See, when Jesus talks about restlessness, when he talks about fatigue, when he talks about weariness, he's not talking about physical tiredness, right? He's, Jesus does not offer or promise to us a life that is free from pain and sorrow and loss. What makes us weary in a spiritual sense? He's talking about giving rest to our spiritual weariness. So what are some of those things that, that we know what makes us physically tired? What are some things that make you spiritually tired? There is nothing in this world as exhausting as the work of having to prove ourselves to God. There is nothing as tiring in this world as having to prove ourselves to God that we're trying our best, that we're working hard, that we're doing a good thing, that we're upright and righteous. You and I know deep into our heart that we are not living up to God's standards. If we are going to be honest with ourselves, you and I will say we're not living up to God's standards. You and I know that we should be more kind and more generous and more truthful, more compassionate, more, more loving, and more like Jesus. And because we know this, we find ways to compensate for those feelings of guilt and shame. We find ways to compensate so that we won't feel as embarrassed and beat down by all that work of, of having to please God. We'll hide, we lie, we pretend, we indulge our appetites, whether those are sex, money, or power. We will project our problems on others. We will display a polished image to the world. Sometimes we do all those things in just one day. <laughs> and we, we find ways to make ourselves feel better because we are not living up to God's standards. 
And all of that makes us incredibly weary. And it just exhausts us. It crushes us. When we succeed, we get affirmation and it gives us a sense of happiness. Like we're doing a good job, but it's always temporary and we always need to fuel it more and more. We always need to do better the next time. Better and better and better. And when we fail, we're crushed by it. We feel humiliated. Jesus says to the crowds just a little earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, if you want to be accepted based on your goodness, you're going to have to be better than the best person you've ever met. That's what he says. He says who's, who's, who are the people that are doing it the best? And, and, and it's the Pharisees. He says, okay, you have to obey the law better than them. And obviously they would think, can't do it crushed by that kind of expectation. I have already failed. The kind of restlessness that Jesus has come to heal is the restlessness that is the result of guilt, trying to prove ourselves to him, shame, the knowledge that we're always falling short, the knowledge that we know that we could always do better, be a better follower of Jesus, a better mom, a better dad, a better friend, husband, wife, a better neighbor, all of these things, all these better that we ought to be. Would you hear Jesus when he says, that's, t- that's kind of exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> and we say, yeah, that's exhausting. He says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Your spirit, your soul is so exhausted right now. And that's what I've actually come to give rest to. Some of you think the reason that you are restless is because you need to try harder to rest. Oh, I just really got to try harder to rest. Okay, you've already started off wrong. <laughs> Have you ever tried to fabricate your rest on a Sunday afternoon? How well does that go? You can't sleep. You ever go home? Everybody needs to be quiet. I'm speaking, this is me, actually. This is uh, the, it is called the day of rest. And when I get home after church, after teaching, and after being with you all, you exhaust me. And I get home and I say, no one say a single word. See, our problem is not quantity. It's the object of our rest. That's what Jesus is wanting to show us here. He's like, your problem with rest is not because you don't have enough of it. It's because the object of your rest is wrong. You're going to everywhere else to give you soul rest. And I'm the only one who could give it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an interesting thing for a man to say who is about to be betrayed, rejected, and murdered. Jesus says, Things are light for me. What is he talking about? When he says that his burden is light, his yoke is easy, his invitation to us is like telling a drowning man or woman to put on the burden of a life preserver. When you are struggling and you're drowning, And someone gives you a chore. 
put on this life preserver, and you're like, I'm dying, and you're giving me a chore? Do you see how weird that sounds? The burden of that work is no burden at all. It's so difficult to rest in Jesus when we say that. It's so difficult to find that rest. It is like saying it is so difficult. The phone call rings, and it's like, you hang up, and you're like, oh. So why? What happened? What, what's so stressful? I'm so burdened right now. I have to go to the pharmacy and get this life-saving medicine for my dying child. Oh, another chore. No, that is no burden at all. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke, take it, come to me, it is a burden that is no burden at all because it's that work that actually rescues us. And when we take his burden, instead of be, when we take his yoke, instead of being crushed by it, we are lifted up, we are rescued, we are given rest. Rest is not made, it's found. It's not a state of mind, it's a person. And when Jesus offers rest, he's offering himself he says, come to me. Consider Jesus the, who left the comforts of heaven to live out the painful life here on earth. He was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet never sinned. He was mocked and rejected and betrayed by all those closest to him. He was crucified on the cross. He suffered and was killed and was buried. And he says, this is an easy job because of what it gives. He says, I, I pursue this with joy. And then he invites us to do the same. To lay aside all of that work, to find our rest in God through our own self-righteousness, to stop struggling, to stop the endless pursuit of that frenzy of activity, and to come to him. He came to stand before God in our place, and then he rose from the grave to give us rest, the rest that he now offers to you. Have you come to him? Do you need to come to him today? Do you need to know him in this way today? I invite you to that. I'll end with this story. I came across the story of a man who came across another man walking his four dogs. He's walking his four dogs in an open field, and, and three of those dogs would just run with great joy and, and bouncing through these open field and running with, with great passion, spreading their legs, stretching their legs with boundless energy. And then there was this fourth dog that this man observed that while these other three were just running through the field, this fourth dog was just running in circles by their master, just running in a circle by their master, and so the, the man says, why does your dog do that? Why does your dog run in circles? He has all the room in the world to run. The owner explained that the one dog was raised in a cage, and the only way he learned how to exercise was running in circles in that cage. And now that he doesn't have that cage anymore, he just still runs in circles. He doesn't know there's a field before him that he could run. We, like this dog, are running in circles when we don't come to Jesus, when we were made for so much more. We were made 
to have this joyful rest and pursuit and running in this life with Jesus where his burden, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We believe the lie that running in circles will give us rest, but the only way is to yoke ourselves to Jesus to make him our rest.